Welcome to the Helping Children Thrive podcast, where we talk about ways to improve your child's health and recovery. I'm your host, Momina Sili, and I'm a certified pediatric functional medicine health coach. At Helping Children Thrive, it is our aim to educate and empower parents and practitioners with integrative approaches to children's health conditions. Along with this hope that our children can recover, I welcome you all. Hi, everyone. Today, we have Carol um, with us today, and she has been so, so, so instrumental in this whole area of sensory processing disorder, difference, whatever you want to call it. It is, um, she has helped thousands and thousands of parents, like we were just talking about right before we got on, calm down and, um, and, you know, find a way through and find a way um, to help their children. So just a little bit about Carol. As a music movement and drama teacher for 25 years, Carol observed many out of sync preschoolers. To help them become more competent in their work and play, she began to study sensory processing and sensory integration theory. She learned to help identify her young students' needs and to steer them into early intervention. In her writings and workshops, she explains to parents, educators, and other early childhood professionals how sensory issues play out and provides enjoyable sensory motor techniques for addressing them at home and at school. Carol is best known for her first book, the, and it's a sync series, so the Out of Sync Ch- Child. And it is right now, she's recently had a third edition. So make sure you get your hands on the recent updated um, edition. Cal graduated from Bernard College of Columbia, of Columbia University and earned her master's degree in education and human development from the George Washington University. She's also on the board of Star Institute for Sensory Processing Disorder. Thank you, Carol, for coming and welcome. Well, thank you so much, Romina, for inviting me. I love to I love to get the word out and um, I'm happy to be here with your community today. Yeah, and that's and that's something we both have in common that we really want everyone to find out, everyone to learn and, and to give hope to everyone, right? That this is, if they have been given a label or a diagnosis by their doctors, that this is not the be all end all. There's so much they can do. And I think you have helped so many parents in so many ways. So just how did you get started? Like, how did all of this work start? It, it was quite a serendipity. Um, I, my intention uh, as a young woman was to be a Broadway chorus line dancer. Oh, wow. But that, <laughs> I love to dance. I went to school in New York. I just thought it was natural. Uh, but uh, that didn't happen. Um, got married, had two little boys, typical children. And uh, the boys went to a wonderful neighborhood preschool. Um, I was hired as a, a movement teacher there and was very interested to, uh, to note that there were many children whom I considered to be out of sync. And I didn't have an education in education. So I came with a completely open mind. I didn't know what um, atypical development might look like. Uh, I was very interested in the children at this school, which was uh, uh, continues to be a very inclusive school. It's called St. Columba Nursery School in, in Washington, D.C. 
And I was very interested in the children with the special needs and I was um, very talented with them. I didn't know or expect this about myself, but I just, I, I, um, I figured out ways to help the child in the uh, helmet do a somersault or the child with braces from waist to toe, how to get him on the swing or how to have him crawl across the ramp to be the big billy goat acting out the three billy goats and the troll yeah. story. Um, those kids were easy. It was the other kids, the out of sync kids who didn't have any uh, observable special needs yeah. physically physically they were you know everything was was going according to nature's best plan um but uh what was with the child who would never let his hands get into the sand or the puddle or the science experiment or the art project who couldn't hold hands for a circle dance who couldn't sit next to somebody at meeting time uh the child who was complaining about the tags in his shirts and then there were the kids whose feet would never leave the ground they were terrified going up a step or two a swing was out of the question a slide was unimaginably fearsome so you know what i couldn't figure it out and then uh, one day, uh, uh, one of these out-of-sync kids um, tripped on air. A lot of children with sensory issues are clumsy. Nothing, in, nothing was in his way. His shoelaces were not untied. He just tripped. He stumbled. He fell. He abraded his knee a little bit. He was wearing long pants. You know, just a little fall. And this howl went up like, it was the end of the world. So I went over to him and I crouched in front of him and I said, I'm here to help you. He lunged toward me. He, with his hand, my glass, eyeglasses went flying and, um, and I, and I, you know, I was startled and I, and I sat back on the pavement and I, had all kinds of emotions of um, anger, uh, rejection, uh, sorrow. Yeah. I felt so sorry for him. All of this, and I thought. Then uh, he 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 scooted away. He went into a corner, and he had to calm himself down, which took some time. He didn't want anybody near. Him. Anyway, I figured out I cannot. I am responsible for these children, my students. I cannot let a child suffer like this. What's going on? I hope the story is not too long. I'm nearing no. the end. And I feel okay. like so many parents can relate to that. So please. It so happened that because we um, we had a lot of children with special needs who we, uh, we actually recruited children with special needs at this regular preschool, we felt that kids with special needs would enhance our program as they did. Um, so we had some consultants in the uh, neighborhood who we could call on at any time. 
physical therapists, speech and language therapists, um, developmental pediatricians, and occupational therapists. So I called an occupational therapist who was on our list of godsends. <laughs> uh, her name was Lynn Balzer Martin. And I said, Lynn, I, I described this to her and I said, what's going on here? And she said, well, it sounds like he has sensory processing disorder. I'll come in and do a workshop for you. So she did that. She did a 90 minute workshop with the staff and I was totally blown away because she made me see the patterns that I was searching for but couldn't find. The over-responsive child may be allergic, no, that's not the right word, but uh, avoidant of uh, things touching his skin yeah. and, his, and his mouth. Uh, the child who is uh, averse to movement won't be on the swings or won't be moving his body. Um, uh, the child who craves tactile input will be stuffing his mouth with popcorn and, and, and his hands will be everywhere in, in the finger paint and up to his elbows and, and in his classmates space, he'll be fondling them and stroking yes. them. Very annoying <laughs> to, to the children who don't understand. So anyway, uh, I began to see these patterns that I had sought, and I became Lynn's um, disciple. And I said, well, you know, i got to read something about it. She said, well, there isn't anything for people like you. So I wrote it. I wrote it because, because I wasn't the only one who needed to see these patterns, begin to recognize what the classic symptoms were, and then um, uh, how to get my head around it and address it so that my child or my student could participate in life. And I think I've succeeded with, uh, with my books. I, I'm pleased my books are reaching people and can explain this neurological common problem. Yeah, you know, and I hope that it becomes, we get to a place where it becomes mandatory reading for all caregivers and teachers, right? Because imagine like we, we send our kids to school, um, especially the parents that have a child that is struggling, for them, it's giving them a bigger chunk of their heart, right? Because they know that their child will struggle more in school. But when we when we send our kids to school, if the teacher on the other side is more aware and knowledgeable about how to deal with their needs, it makes that whole experience so much better. And, and this is something you talk about at, at length in your book, but I just wish that it became mandatory reading for all caregivers and all teachers. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. So just before we get started, just for people that are listening, who is that out, out of sync child? Okay. Um, the this is my definition. The out-of-sync child is the one who, like everyone in the world, receives sensations through receptors in her body. So uh, her skin takes in sensations, her ears, eyes, nose, mouth, um, her um, internal organs are 
giving giving her sensations. So she gets sensations from her body as well as from the environment. Um, muscles and joints are providing uh, sensations. So every time we stretch, for instance, flex and stretch. And why don't we all do this just for a minute? Because everyone's been sitting now for a few minutes and that's too long. Just, uh, that's right, stretch and flex and make a big stretch, straight elbows. Yeah, good, 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 good. Okay, that's fine. You just do that every once in a while and it'll make you tingle. Um, so the out-of-sync child, like everyone, receives information from the body, from the environment, and the sensations go to the central nervous system, go to the brain, and somehow in the brain, um, there's what is sometimes called a traffic jam of the brain. This is a term that um, Dr. Jean Ayers came up with. Dr. Ayers formulated the theory of sensory processing and, and integration in the uh, 1950s and 60s and 70s. Uh, so something neurologically happens or doesn't happen, which gets in the way of these senses integrating with other senses. We must have our senses coming in being organized and processed and integrated so that our behavior that goes out is uh, appropriate for the situation. This is the sensory motor cycle, sensory in, motor or movement out. So, um, you know, a quick example is the hot stove. We uh, typically uh, get our hand too close to the hot stove the tactile sensation of um, harmful heat gets into our skin, we retract our hand. Yeah. The out-of-sync child may not notice that it's hot. There are under-responsive children. who It takes them longer for that sensation to trickle up to their brain and yeah. tell them what's happening. So they get burned. Or there can be the child who um, feels that heat way more intensely and sooner than and longer than anyone else who would never get near the warmth of that heat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? So there, there are the avoiders who are over-responsive. They are, they are the uh, under-responsive, out-of-sync kids who need dynamite to wake them up to process sensations. There are sensory cravers who aren't bothered by sensations and who do notice sensations and they want more, more, more. They're like sensory addicts. And there can be a jungle of this. You can have um, a classic thing as a child who is over-responsive to touch sensations. So the clothing, the nearness of other people, the mud, is very bothersome. And that same child can be craving movement. The vestibular system is a very, very important system that the uh, receptors are in the inner ear. And when we move our head, we are activating the vestibular system. Some kids crave a lot of movement. They wanna get on a swing that spins and do a lot of rapid 
rotary spinning. They want to climb up to the highest rung and jump off the mountaintop and uh, more. They want more intensity. So one child can be over-responsive to some sensations, craving other sensations. And that can be especially true on Monday and not true so much on Friday. Yeah. So uh, uh, there, are, uh, there are three major categories of sensory processing differences that cause out-of-syncness. Um, one is problems with modulation. That's how we regulate how much does this sensation mean. There are discrimination problems. What does this sensation mean? Is that a B or a D that I'm reading? Is that a K or a G that I'm hearing? Uh, there, are, uh, you know, is this is this bucket full of water or is this bucket empty? And how can I tell? All that all that kind of judgment of life around us is sensory discrimination. And then there are uh, motor or movement issues where the person might be extremely clumsy um, because underlying sensory systems are stuttering along try and, and not smooth. And so uh, the person might have very poor posture, for instance, or may um, not be able to cross the midline. That's using the eye, hand, or foot on one side of the body in the space of the other eye, hand, and foot. So the, there are, um, in the out-of-sync child, uh, there are pages and pages at the ends of each chapter with lists of characteristics that I think parents and teachers might want to glance at and say, oh yeah, tick, 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 tick. These, these are things that, that my child uh, demonstrates. Yeah. And I think that may be clarifying. And so one of the things that you also talk about is this, this out of sync child is also on the, on a continuum, right? So where one child might be more advanced in their sensory needs, um, another one might be able to integrate into daily life a little bit more easily, right? While another, it could even be, I think I was reading from your book, there's another twin who was, um, one needed a lot more work, a lot more sensory um, input, a lot more regulation, while the other twin required a lot less, but in a very different way, right? So like, there's yeah. a continuum that you talk about. And so can you just tell us a little bit more about what that looks like? And then how can parents really assess, you know, what kind of needs their kids have and how can they address them? Yes, great. Um, so it, uh, it does range from mildness to moderateness to severity. And, I, and let me just say with the, the child who has severe SPD, sensory processing differences, um, these differences are going to really impede the child in daily life. This child may not want to get out of bed in the morning, may have a very difficult time eating. Um, beyond being a picky eater, the child might be what's called a problem feeder. That's a child who gags uh, 
because the sensitivity in his mouth and tongue may prevent him from eating, eating or sucking, suckling as inf an infant. Um, this may be the child who uh, uh, has a what's called a meltdown if he's lifted. Um, he just wants to lie prone. He doesn't want his head to change position at all. This is not the child who wants to uh, get in the car seat to go for a car ride or the or the stroller or even be lifted. Um, things like perfume, um, banana, the smell of a banana, um, the smell of new cut grass. These things might be make the child shriek with fear. So we have to look at sensory processing disorder as uh, as so intense that a child can hardly leave the house. And the child, of course, will rule the household because parents tiptoe around and they want so much to make their baby smile and be comfortable and they don't know what to do about it. Uh, this is the child who very much needs to have what's called occupational therapy using a sensory integration approach. And uh, that is shortened to OTSI, Occupational Therapy Sensory Integration. So OTSI um, is provided by an, an occupational therapist who has had additional training. About 20% of um, OTs in our country have had this training. A regular OT who has not had SI training won't do any harm, but it's better to get um, uh, the OT with the special training and the special understanding. Um, the therapy is usually enjoyable for the child. Uh, Dr. Ayers said children are governed by inner drive and they, they want to participate. They want to play uh, in the sandbox and, and on the swings. And, um, and so the OT will gradually, gradually, in tiny little increments, help that child with the severe issues, learn how to be comfortable moving. Uh, for instance, the OT will put the child on a, a platform suspended from the ceiling that's an inch off the ground. And the child will just be on that, just moving the teensiest bit. And gradually the OT will uh, increase the amount of movement. And that will make beneficial, permanent changes in the brain. Yeah. Okay, that's severity. Then let's go look at mild cases for a moment because these are often subtle to the observer. Maybe not subtle to the person with yeah. the, having the sensory issues, but we may not, we may not notice uh, or Often we don't share the same issues that the child does. I remember a father, I was, I was trying to explain to him in a conference at our preschool that, um, uh, what, that his little girl just refused to get on any of the tricycles or um, big wheels or anything we had at school for moving. And, and he said, oh, I know, and at home we've got these tricycles and she won't get on them and she's afraid of nothing. And, and I said, it isn't nothing. 
it is something to her. To you, it's not. You probably enjoyed your trikes and your bites when you were a kid. But to your daughter, we suspect she has a vestibular uh, issue that means that when she moves her body and her head, she's, she feels like she's going to fall off the face of the earth. It is real to her. And I remember his face like... Uh, hmm. Like this had simply not occurred to him, and uh, and you know I tried to not make him feel guilty uh, because we mustn't we mustn't feel guilty or or imply that there's a reason for guilt. Parent, this is too hard to understand for some parents. The mild child might have that um, reluctance to do things that typical kids like, and we think, oh, don't be such a slowpoke, don't be a sissy, your brother could do it. Um, there's nothing scary about this. Well, maybe the child functions pretty well and just avoids those situations as much as possible, but but um, would like a little empathy <laughs> and maybe would like, like us to do some things. Here's some things we can do for the child with the mild issues. We can put on our imaginary sensory spectacles and we can ask ourselves, what is this, what sensory reason might there be for my child's um, behavior now? Why is my child pulling back from something that seems to be fun for other kids? Or, and, and it, you know, it could be, oh, uh, this birthday party is too noisy. My child has sensitive ears and his auditory system is on overload. He doesn't have to stay at this birthday party. Or, oh, my child prefers smooth food. I'm not going to make him eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich with chunky peanut butter and orange marmalade with bits of rind in it. You know, I can make these accommodations for a child, and I can talk to my good doctor, and there are some... Yeah. Doctors who do understand this. I like the word. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, um, so, with your goggles on, there, there, there are three questions to ask. What sensory thing might be bothering my child that isn't bothering me? But if I put myself in my kid's shoes, maybe I can discover it. The second question to ask with these sensory spectacles on is, what sensations might my child be craving? And one thing that's easy to see is movement. The fidgety kid who's all over the place uh, may be a craving child who, or a, a, listen, a typical child, you and I, maybe we might need to get up and do our stretches and walk around the block a few times too. And how about kids who are stuck in their seats? All day long. All day long. With short, short recesses, I think recesses should be way, way expanded, uh, and nobody should ever be be, de be denied recess ever, ever. Yeah, I, I totally uh, agree with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the third question is, what does my child do uh, for self therapy? So, um, uh, you know, we're. The second question is, what does my child need? And that, and we're we're really being thinking. We're thinking about this. My child needs movement, 
Or maybe my child needs deep pressure, like a big, deep hug to be calming and get it's safe for him because I'm mommy or I'm daddy and I can do this and he won't freak out. Deep pressure is very good. Um, and then the third question, what does my child seek? Um, and that could be, um, I knew a child who uh, ran around the dining room table frequently, round and round and round, then he'd go in the other direction, round and round and round. He knew he needed to do some rotary movement for his vestibular system. He couldn't have explained it. Yeah. His mother couldn't have explained it. Her mother thought maybe he had OCD. Yeah. Uh, 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 this child also would go to doorways and he'd press, press, press his hands and then he, the sides of his feet against the door jams, press with all his might. That was his way. He had figured out he needed to get intense input into his muscles and joints through what's called his vestibular system. I, I'm sorry, his proprioceptive system. Vestibular is when we are moving our, around and moving our head. Proprioception is when we're getting input into our muscles and joints. He was This child was did not have OCD. This child had figured out that frequent um, uh, tension and movement was helpful, and he did it in a way that could have been misconstrued as ritualistic behavior, which children will do if they have uh, obsessive-compulsive yeah. disorder. And this was not ritualistic. This was sensory need. Sensory, <laughs> sensory need. Yeah. So anyway, uh, discerning the mild cases is hard. It's not in our face so much. And um, uh, I think parents and teachers can ask themselves honestly, uh, what, ch what child really annoys me? Or, or uh, what child really, really confounds me? I'm just bewildered by this child's behavior. And begin to look for patterns, especially in three, three sensory systems, especially in the tactile system, the vestibular system, and the proprioceptive system, which is muscles and joints. And if those uh, aberrations in those three areas come to mind, chances are the child has sensory processing differences or disorder. Yeah, you know, um, and then one of the things that brings that up is that the, the need of parents to become detectives, right? Because they're yes. really sitting back and piecing through their child's behavior. So whether they're, the, the problem is that the child who's on the milder side of the spectrum does not scream and demand the attention that a child who's more severe, right? Right. But that doesn't mean that they don't need the help or the input. But that is like, like you said, what is that that little annoyance? Um, and what does that mean for that child? But that requires you to take a step back and kind of look at it and see, you know, what can we do? Like, and piece those things together, right? So yeah. I have that child do this and this and this. What's the connection? Yes, yes. Um, 
Yeah. And oftentimes I think what we see with that is that um, a lot of children with sensory needs, their parents are probably their best advocates because they, like you said, when they're babies, from the time they're babies till they're growing up, um, the parents then provide them with that environment at home, where then the home becomes a safe environment, right? And 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 I I read what you said in the book where the kids and the parents are both asking for the school to be a home-like environment, right? So they've provided that very like safe environment where they know certain things affect their child certain like, certain ways right i've spoken to parents who say okay my kid doesn't like to shower my kid doesn't like to brush their teeth and it's such a struggle getting them into shoes and they like particular kinds of socks and the shirt has to be the same and you know just those kinds of little things but so at home the parent tries to create that environment but it's about helping them get from just making space and holding space for that child but also helping to integrate those sensory needs right yes yes um uh helping the child understand <coughs> excuse me or own the problem is important uh so um when the child is able to say i am uncomfortable in this situation um because there's too much noise then the child can can advocate for himself, and that's that's wonderful. Uh, you brought up a few things here that I I just would like to add to. Um, one is um, uh, when the parent notices that there are certain things that the child prefers or needs at home. Uh, in a non-confrontational way, if the parent can say to the teacher or make a list for the teacher, these are things we notice at home. Um, we notice that uh, unexpected noises really bother Billy. Can he be in a seat that is not near the rattling Venetian blinds or the fish tank or the door that opens and closes? Um, and I think that there can be reasonable requests made like that. Um, if a child uh, is calm with fidgets or with... Um, something called a lap buddy. A lap buddy is a, a bag of kidney beans that you slip into a, a little pillowcase. And the child can um, uh, wear uh, put that squishy pillow on his thighs, when he, on his lap when he's sitting. He can put it on his head or on his back. And uh, um, I heard one, <coughs> one mom told me that she uh, she said to the teacher, uh, my child is going to come with his lap buddy, I just want you to know, and he, he sits on it and he sits under it and it's very calming for him. And the teacher said, oh no, we don't, we don't have space. We don't want anyone to look different. And the mother said, well, my child is different and we have found at home, this is very comforting for him. No. So the child had a real rough first week and the, um, the parent then went to the principal and the principal spoke to the teacher and the teacher said, oh, all right. Kid comes in with a lap buddy and at the end of a few days, the teacher called the parent and said, may I have 29 of those more, more, 29 more for my other son. So, you know, some teachers will be uh, 
uh, resistant only because they're ignorant. And I say that in a loving way. We are ignorant. Every one of us, we're ignorant of so much we don't know. Uh, but once we gain knowledge, we we can see the light and make things a lot better. So the parent needs to advocate in a non-confrontational way and with concrete objectives that are have observable uh, benefits. Yeah. Um, you know, you can't just say, uh, please try to understand my child. You need to say, my child needs a chair that has four feet that sit squarely on the floor. And if the chair tips, here's an old tennis ball with the, where I've, I've scored it and you can jam it on the bottom of the, one of the legs and it will equalize the chair. Um, my child, um, I have a nephew who's autistic and uh, when, he, uh, when he was in third grade, he had um, fidgets and they, they were in his IEP. So, so they were on, that's an individualized education program. I think P is for program. Um, okay. Uh, and so they were in writing. It was in writing that he could come to school with fidgets, but the teacher had not read or she ignored the IEP and she kept taking them away. Well, true. They did distract a child sitting next to Jeffrey, perhaps, or maybe he dropped it once in a while. But it helped him uh, get some tactile input that he needed, and it was calming for him. Teachers may not take away things like that. And, and parents need to be sure that teachers understand they may not take things like that away. They, they may not deny recess. They may not punish that way. That uh, burns me up. Yeah, and I think that, that that brings up one other important thing is that first the parents have to do the work to figure out what those things are for their kid, right? And that's, I think, where the hard work starts is figuring out what your child's needs are. And, and it kind of speaks to what you said a while ago is the second step is parents figuring out what their child's needs are. And that that can be where it can be the hardest step, right? Um, just making sense of it. Because a lot of parents, all of this is so new, right? You yeah. either haven't been exposed to another family that might have a kid who has those needs or might not have verbalized that they have those needs. Because, you know, in our community, we don't necessarily, it, it's harder to talk about those needs. You want to protect your child. So you don't necessarily, you know, expose them to, everyone in the neighborhood or other friends and say, oh, you know, X, Y, and Z hats or Kate or somebody has sensory needs, right? And so just figuring that out is so hard for parents. Yes, it is. It is. And that's why I, I tried to make it easy to understand with um, one of the favorite, my favorite parts of my book, I'm bragging here, but um, I came up with the idea of little side-by-side -side stories See, there are, two, there are two stories here. So one of them tells in a paragraph how a typical child uh, reacts to um, something that's very noisy. Yeah. And the other one is how the child with SPD reacts to the same uh, sensory message 
uh, and and has a and has a meltdown. Excuse me, I'm just reaching for something. I can't find it. Um, oops, all right, never mind. Um, <clears throat> um, so <laughs> discovering it <coughs> um, is something. It's fun to do. Not fun. I don't think it's fun, but it's um, illuminating to make these discoveries with somebody else, with with your mom or your sister or your spouse. And and um, the child will look different in <coughs> in different situations. The teacher might see a very different child. The kid might be just great at school, um, holding it together. And then he comes home and he falls apart and kicks and screams and says, I hate you to mom. Yeah. It can be the opposite. So many parents who complain of that, right? Why is it at home? Right, right, right. Um, it can go it can go the other way. It can be that the child is um uh, is peaceful and active and uh um jumps on the mattress at home and eats things and is fine. And then he goes to school and then he's completely overwhelmed at school with uh with too much too much sensory information coming in all the time that really, really bothers him. Um, I would like to, uh, what I was reaching for was a piece of paper I have with my website on it. Um, I don't know if you if you provide that. Let me just. I'll put that in the show notes. And so what oh, okay. I'm <laughs> okay. talking about that was um, you also have another resource that talks about the out-of-sync child what he does for fun is there something uh, there's a resource that literally is like the next thing I'm going to be reading and I think that that really helps parents just figure yeah. out exactly the out of sync child has fun yes right right, right. how can they find those things that works for that child right isn't that amazing right. and the out of sync right. grows up because that was my next question these parents are so stressed out with what the future looks like, especially those parents whose kids are on the more extreme, um, you know, spectrum or continuum, right? Right. And you right. have a resource for that. Well, uh, yeah, I do. This one, the outer sync child grows up. Um, my ex my experience has been with uh, preschoolers and. So I thought, well, I'll get the experts to help me write this book. So I have 50 contributors here who um, are uh, teenagers and young adults and older adults who wrote um, little short sections, little stories about what they want people to know. Yeah. And I think, it, I think it's very helpful. Uh, the, the main thing, I mentioned it before, is helping the child own his situation and um, not blame other people, but say, oh, I, um, I, um, um, I am responsible for, for things that, that I'm doing or not doing, or um, I, I tend to um, trip easily. So I am responsible to making sure my shoelaces are tied and that I'm holding onto the banister. Or uh, I am responsible for explaining to the teacher that I, um, um, 
I don't like uh, to put uh, strange things into my mouth. So uh, this cooking experiment is not going to be yeah. comfortable for me. You know, you know, and and it's I mean, it's 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 hard. But I think I think that uh, when you read the Odyssey Child grows up and you read from these the the older people's experience that made them so comfortable when they knew what was going on and they got therapy. And I do want to say about therapy. Um, my favorite therapy is occupational therapy because that goes right to the problem. Yeah. Um, by the age of three, if a child has severe, moderate or severe sensory processing issues and they're ignored or they're disqualified, the child may begin to develop psychological problems. Yeah. SPD is not, doesn't begin as a psychological problem. You do not go to the psychologist or psychiatrist first to handle these issues. You go first to the person who's working on the body, and that is the occupational therapist. Yeah. Um, the psychological stuff will kick in, and many, many children and adults with sensory issues have low self-esteem and high anxiety. And it's because their bodies are not cooperating. So even adults can benefit from therapy. Uh, OT helps any anybody. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I have I have um, an aversion to sticky stuff. Um, I taught in the classroom for a couple of years, and I uh, I didn't like art. Projects. I mean, I love art, but I didn't like the pro art projects with the sticky glue and everything. Yeah. And the parents <clears throat> noticed that, and they and they, they began to <laughs> tell the they said to the director of the school, you know, we love Carol, but uh, the art bags come home empty on Friday, and and you know what she's so good at is the obstacle courses and the uh, activity games and the musical activities and the jump rope and the trampoline and the, but the art bags come home empty. So the teacher, the director took me out of the classroom and made me the resource teacher for all the students. And I got my own music and movement room. And I worked with all the children every day. And uh, that was, that was, that was, that was the so solution for me. And I don't know how I got on this topic. But, um, <laughs> no, but it's great though. Cause I think what, what, it's such an important pearl that you said, and, and I want to connect both of them, is the fact that, you know, these um, things like anxiety and mental health issues do come up with kids with SPD, but it's also more with those kids who um, are maybe less self-aware of what's going on. So like you said, they need to become their own advocates, and that takes right. work, and that's hard, right? To tell three or four or five-year-old to first understand what's going on with them and then become an advocate for themselves is really, yeah. really, really hard. Very, it's hard. It's hard. It, and it takes a lot of practice. But I feel yeah. like I've, I've never heard this before, but I think it's a game changer for parents, right? If they start working on their child and their self-esteem, that's the first thing that takes that hit is their self-esteem. They feel different. Every child I feel that I've worked with, parents I've spoken to, 
they know they're different. They feel different. They feel left out. They feel singled out. They don't feel like they are like the other children. And eventually it does have a big mental health impact on, on, on their children. Right. And so this idea of creating advocacy for themselves, right. Becoming your best advocate for what you need. Yes. It's amazing. It's It's amazing. Understanding yourself is so hard. Um, and I, I, this is not about me, but I, I, I just I remembered what I what I started to say um, because I didn't like the glue and because I wasn't a good art teacher. My self esteem as a teacher w- went down. I did, didn't like being criticized, um, uh, but I found my milieu. So I have mild sensory issues when it comes to touching sticky things. It does not hinder me from participating 99% in the world. I just don't bake bread, you know? Yeah, <laughs> um, and that's okay. But, yeah, yeah. But I didn't, I didn't understand it until, this was, early, this was early in my career as a teacher, I didn't understand it until that, that occupational therapist I mentioned came and gave us this workshop, and I thought, oh, I have some tactile over-responsivity. That explains that about myself. I'm happy with the movement stuff, not with the sticky stuff. And boy, if you can help a child see that, oh, it's clear, Elizabeth, that, that you really like soft textures. You don't like scratchy, bumpy, lacy, burlappy kinds of textures we can we can work with that yeah you know and the kid says oh i'm okay i'm not yeah and and i think the thing that comes from that is you know recognizing that that's okay but like you said earlier kids like to learn and have fun these like to get better that probably might give them more of a reason to create that integration and yes. put that extra effort, right? So eventually, while Elizabeth did not like, only like soft things, over time she will like textures when she puts in the work, right? Yes, that's right. And 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 with therapy, if if possible, that will help the those those uh, neurological changes uh, happen happen faster. Um, you know, with without therapy, what what happens is uh, in in mild cases, the child will grow up uh, to be someone. Uh, let, let's say this is a child who is uh, avoidant, uh, over responsive. That's a child who will grow up to prefer um, uh, a job at a desk with a computer and not mingling with a lot of other people. Yeah. Um, and he'll his friends will be quiet and he'll play chess and he just won't have a lot of contact with people. The child who's the sensory craver will be a tree surgeon uh, or a roofer or, <laughs> you know or uh, or go to the Olympics and get on one of those uh, boards yeah. and yeah yeah um, so you know we we go where we're comfortable, where we're getting our our needs met. Um, and and some people will be fine without therapy. They will they will find their niche. But what we want to do is um, save the ch- children who are 
anxious about school and being part it participating in in the world around them and uh, and the kids who are so so uncoordinated that um, uh, really getting dressed getting fed getting out the door is so difficult for them they're the ones that really need to have some professional help because a lot of this is beyond what a parent can do yeah for sure and to find it to find an ot um go to this website um www.sensoryhealth.org okay sensoryhealth.org i have to tell as well yeah Oh, very good. Okay, and you can go to a directory there and and look up in your um, town uh, if there are therapists who are who are there. Yeah, can help great. You. Thank you for that. I feel like for parents to listen and just absorb a lot of this information to know that you know there are so many things we can do for our children. There is hope for them. There's ways that we can make them confident in their own selves. It, it requires a lot of work. I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. It requires a lot more effort on the part of the parent. But the reward is so much more because you see your child thrive, right? When on the other side, initially, like you had no hope. But when you see them thrive, I think it's sweeter. It's so much more sweeter to see that. So sweet. So sweet. Well, I hope to bring hope and help to to our listeners and just get them get them started and you don't you don't even have to buy my book put just put on your sensory spectacles and ask yourself is something sensory getting in my kid's way that i doesn't bother me but may bother him what is he doing um what what seems to help him and uh what does he what kind of self-therapy does he do yeah uh, what does he need and what does he do to uh, to help him himself? And you're on your way. And take notes. Write it down, too. Write it down because that's really important to be able to go back and see. Exactly, right? That just shows you how far you've come. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This has been so amazing. Thank you for all your time and all the work that you've done to help so many families. Well, thank you. And same to you. You're doing a wonderful job bringing all, so much information to families. It's yeah. inspiring. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you for listening to this podcast and spending your precious time with us at Helping Children Thrive. If you find this podcast helpful, please share it with your family, friends, and others who may benefit. If you haven't already, hit subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Please take a few moments to rate and review this podcast on the review section of Apple Podcast. This will help other parents, caregivers, and professionals find the show more easily. Visit momentasaleemcoaching.com to post comments on today's show or ask any questions about upcoming episodes. And sign up to receive a weekly update. Helping Children Thrive is not a substitute for working with a qualified health professional. The information shared here is not intended to diagnose and treat your child. Before implementing anything discussed here on the podcast, make sure to consult your healthcare practitioner. See you all next week.